Father, we thank you so much. That you give us the opportunity to open your word and hear from you by the power of the Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask that that would be what would happen this morning. God, not that people would hear the foolish ramblings of some insufficient speaker and preacher, Lord, but that we would hear from your very word. God, that you would teach us, Spirit, that you would convict us, that you would challenge us, that you would motivate us. We ask that you would also comfort and encourage those of us who need comfort, those of us who need encouragement, those of us who are hanging on by a thread, Lord. God, all of this is possible through your word, through you, Holy Spirit, working through your word. Would you add your richest blessing to the reading, to the teaching, to the proclamation of your holy word, Lord? We ask this in the name of the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. If you have your Bible, and I hope that you do, I invite you to take it and turn with me to the book of Psalms. The book of Psalms. Right in the middle of your Bible. If you try to open to the dead middle of the Bible, you should find yourself probably in the book of Psalms. If you don't have your own copy of God's Word with you, feel free to borrow one from the back of the pew in front of you there. If you don't have a copy that you own, feel free to take that one with you. It's just our gift to you, and we will replace it. We'll purchase a new one, and we just want you to have access to the Word of the Lord. You can also be looking it up on your tablet or your phone, or you can follow along on the screens. But however you're accessing the Word of the Lord, I would ask, if you're physically able, would you please stand out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word. As we look together now at Psalm 84. Psalm 84. This psalm is only 12 verses long and we'll be reading it in its entirety. I'll read for us and after I've completed these 12 verses, I'll say this is the word of the Lord. I encourage you to respond with a hearty thanks be to God. Let's begin Psalm 84. To the choir master, according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrows find a home and the swallow a nest for herself where she may lay her young. At your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. 
For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. We're going to examine this text in just a moment, but as we begin to, I want to ask you a question that I want you to answer in your own mind and in your own heart for yourself. This is not one of those times where I'm asking for congregation participation. Nobody has to shout one out loud because even when I do want you all to shout one out loud, we all know that doesn't go over all that well. So just think of your answer in your own head and in your own heart. What is something That you're supposed to like, but in reality, deep down, you actually find kind of annoying. What is something in your life that you're supposed to find wonderful and good, but deep down, it's kind of annoying? So I thought through a lot of examples, but see, I, I, I really just leave everything out here with you guys when I preach. I'm I'm usually very transparent. And so at first I thought I was going to say cats, but I mean, we we can all, we can all agree. I I love animals except for cats. I'm just, I'm not a cat person, even though I, I, maybe I'm supposed to like cats. I don't even pretend to, I don't act like I like cats. I find them very annoying. I'm so sorry. Cats don't, you don't have a cat as a pet, a pet, a cat has you as a pet. So I couldn't really use cats and I've, I've, I've mentioned other things. So the one that really strikes me is is one that I'm going to be in trouble for after this service with my two sons, especially and, and maybe my wife. But she's already well aware of this. But something that I am supposed to like and I put on a happy face, but I actually find rather annoying is the beach. Is anybody with me? Is anybody just not a beach person? Amen. Praise the Lord. I know I'm supposed to like it. I mean, especially here on on the Gulf Coast, right? I mean, we have the most beautiful beaches in the whole world. It's the sugar white sand and it's great. But but then that sand gets in places it's not supposed to get. And then people want to walk down the beach. And then my legs are large. They rub together as I walk and there's sand in between. It's just a bad combo. Okay, it's just bad. Then you try and get in the ocean and now you're covered in salt. And then when you step one foot back in the sand, now you're wet. So all all of it sticks to you, and then your kids want to build a sandcastle, so you got to lay down in the sand to dig out the moat, and then you stand up, and you're covered in that sand that gets everywhere. And, and when you have children, you, you got to take everything that you own with you to the beach. I, I don't understand this, this camping mentality and this beach mentality. We're going to go to where we would normally be miserable without paraphernalia. And then we're going to take all the paraphernalia we need to make us comfortable in this place. I mean, I'm comfortable in my house, y'all. Like I already got air conditioning. I got a nice bed. I got a chair. It reclines. My feet kick back. I don't have to go camping and then try and make myself comfortable camping. I don't have to go to the beach and then try and make myself comfortable at the beach. I can just sit on my screened in porch. I'm in the shade. I can still see God's creation and it's beautiful. I'm supposed to like camping. I'm supposed to like the beach. But in reality, I kind of find both of them just a little bit annoying. And I'm, I'm sorry that. That's just me. So I wonder this morning, if you keep that in mind, is that something that we feel about our relationship with the Lord? 
Are we supposed to like coming to church? But in reality, we'd never say it out loud, and especially not in this context, because who knows what might happen? The Lord might strike us with lightning. Somebody that's a deacon might get up and usher you out. I could never say out loud that I'm supposed to like coming to church. But in reality, I find it a little bit annoying. I just kind of put up with it. I'm supposed to love God, but in reality, living out this faith is actually kind of annoying. And I, I, I'm, I'm kind of fed up with it. Is there anybody that in your heart, in your subconscious, you have to answer for yourself that maybe that's where you are? Maybe that's something that you've buried deep down and you're putting up with church. You're putting up with God. But God is not someone, church is not something that you cherish, that you love, that is good, that honestly builds you up and fills you up. Folks, when we come to Psalm 84, we find somebody who's not putting up with worship, who's not putting up with God, who's not slightly annoyed by it and just putting on a happy face, we find someone who is enamored with God. And I wonder for us, when's the last time that we genuinely were enamored with the Lord? When was the last time we were captivated by our relationship to God Almighty? When was the last time that you woke up in the morning and said, I have got to go to church today. I have got to be around other believers because I have got to worship God because I love God and I experience God's Holy Spirit in the presence of other believers singing, shouting, giving, taking communion in all these different ways. I have to go to church because I am drawn to the Lord and I just can't be anywhere else today. I have to dive into my Bible because I love God and I want to hear from him. I have to sing something because there is joy overflowing in my soul. And I've got to sing about what God is doing in my life, the peace that he has given me, or I am just going to explode. When's the last time that that was our view of our relationship with the Lord? Because in this, in this short 12 verses, we find somebody who is absolutely captivated by the Lord God Almighty. We find somebody who can honestly write a word under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit and say, one day in the courts of the Lord is better than a thousand anywhere else. Anywhere else. Think of your most favorite thing to do in all the world and think about getting to do that for a thousand days. Would that be more valuable to you? Would that be more enjoyable to us than just one day in God's courts? The psalmist says that one day in the courts of the Lord is better than a thousand elsewhere. And that's a pretty powerful statement in and of itself. But let's spend a little bit of time learning about this particular psalmist. We started off with um, a title, right, to the choir master, according to the Gittith. And you might be looking at that going, OK, what, what on earth is a gittin? Well, I did a little bit of research and the honest truth is nobody's 100 percent sure. But what they think is that it's a music that originated in the region of Gath. So this is the instrument you're supposed to play. This is the type of psalm that this is. Because you remember, we have 150 psalms. This was the hymn book. 
These were what they sang to the Lord. They had a tune. They had a tempo. I've always wanted to be that guy from the movie, like where I was musically inclined and I could stand in front of a band and be like, all right, guys, we're going to be in A minor and uh, bass is going to be a little fast and loose. You guys stick with me and off we go. You know, y'all seen a movie like that, you know, where they just come up and tell the band what's going to go on and it's like jazz and then the guy just spins his bass and goes, boom, 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 and then off they go. They just understand. That's what we have in the beginning of Psalm 84. We have, this is according to the Gittith. So you know what instrument you play, you know how to play it, you know how the song is going to go. And then it says that this is a psalm of the sons of Korah. This is a psalm of the sons of Korah. Now, the Korahites have a really interesting history. They never should have been writing any psalms. If you guys will walk with me just a trip down memory lane, the story of the sons of Korah in the Old Testament begins with the Israelites in Moses' time as they're making their way through the wilderness after they've left Egypt. So in Numbers chapter 3, God sets aside the Levites out of all the tribes of Israel for full-time service to him. They were ordained to take care of the tabernacle and all the stuff that went with it, as well as the Ark of the Covenant. But only the descendants of Aaron were allowed to serve as priests. So the Levites get set aside and they get to do all the grunt work, but they're not the priests actually touching the ark or actually performing the sacrifices. There's three different sons to the man Levi, three different tribes within the tribe of Levi. You've got the Gershonites, the Merariites, and that's, I, there's no easier way to say that. I'm sorry, that's just who they are, all right? One dude's named Gershon, one dude's named Merari, one dude's named Kohath. These three people had three different tasks. You had the Gershonites, and they took care of the covering of the tent of meeting. You had the Merariites, and they took care of the posts. So like if you're going camping, you set up the posts, and then you drape the cloth over it. So you got two different groups of people that did that. Then you had the Kohathites. The Kohathites are the people where Korah comes from. And so the Kohathites were the ones that had to deal with all the intimate, holy stuff that went in the tabernacle. But it was really, really frustrating. Way more frustrating than the other two's jobs. Because they had to carry and labor in all of these meticulous things that you couldn't touch. So remember with me the story of the ark coming back into Jerusalem with King David. Remember, they're putting it on a cart and they're carrying it on the cart. They hit a bump and the ark looks like it's about to fall. And this really well-meaning good guy named Uzzah reaches out to stop the ark from falling. And he goes, ha, boom. And he's dead. Like, that's it. There's no more Uzzah. He's gone. He was just trying to save the ark. That was it. Like it was falling. We can't let the ark of God fall on the ground. But he touched it and he wasn't supposed to touch it. He was touching the very presence of God. God's Holy Spirit was so concentrated in the ark of the covenant that when he touched it, it was like being face to face with God. Where God says, no man can look upon me and live. So when Uzzah touches the ark, he experiences the fullness of God's holiness and it kills him on the spot. So the Korahites... The Kohathites are the people carrying all of that stuff and transporting it. But you've got to wrap everything. 
And you've got to wrap it in this specific type of clean cloth. And if the cloth is blemished in any way, you've got to go wash it again. Then you've got to come back and rewrap it. If you don't wrap it just right and your thumb touches the wrong part of it, boom, you like Uzzah. It's a meticulous and arduous task. But it's their task. Well, over time, they get really, really angry. How come all the descendants of Aaron can touch this stuff and we got to go through all this trouble of wrapping it? This is garbage. I can't believe that God's making them the super people and we are the worthless people and we're just, I don't know, just carrying all the junk. Why can't we touch this stuff? What's so special about them? So then they, they get together with several other people. So by the time you get to Kohath's grandson, Korah, he gets a little group of about 250 people together and they go confront Moses and they go, Moses, we're sick of you and your brother having a monopoly on God and speaking to God. We are good enough to do that, too. Moses is like, whoa, OK, I hear you. I hear you, man. You know what? Let's do this. Let's do this. It's up to God because I didn't make any of these. I'm just telling you what he told me. So let's do this. We'll get together. You and all, all, all your supporters, and I want you to burn incense to the Lord. And they say, okay. And he tells all the people of Israel. This is Numbers chapter 16. Tells all the people of Israel, hey guys, back up. Get away from Korah and all his buddies. And so they do. And then when Korah burns incense, Moses says, if when he burns incense, nothing happens and these guys all die a natural death, then we'll know that I deceived you all and God is willing to accept them as well. But if anything crazy and unnatural happens, like, I don't know, say the earth opens up and just swallows them and they just go down into the earth alive, buried alive, dead. If that happens, then we'll say that I'm the representative of the Lord and he told me not to let y'all touch this stuff so y'all wouldn't die. And so Korah's like, what a great idea. So he lights the incense and y'all... The incense gets lit and boom, I'm talking, the earth goes, what, and swallows them up. They just fall down into a bottomless pit. They probably went straight into the magma layer of the earth and were burned up. I don't know, but they're just gone. And everybody in Israel was backed up and they're like, some people are on the edge of this vacuumous hole that opens up like a sinkhole and then just closes up around them. So they all start screaming and running. And then fire comes from the altar of the Lord and consumes the rest of the 250 people that didn't get swallowed up by the earth. And everybody goes, you, you know what, Moses, we're good with you talking to God. We're totally, you know, I, that guy, he, he was kind of crazy. <laughs> we, we weren't really with him. When you go a little bit further into the book, in the book of Numbers, you find just how merciful God is. Korah, all his compatriots and all their possessions were burned up or swallowed by the earth. But their sons were given another chance. Their sons were given an opportunity to serve the Lord. And so as history passes down, you can see in the book of First Chronicles, you can see in First Samuel, that actually the prophet Samuel, who we talked about last week, he's from the line, the lineage of Korah. Our God is a God of redemption. Korah's dad tried to overthrow the priestly setup. He tried to do a coup and overthrow all of the priests and Moses and Aaron. And God swallowed him up, but allowed his sons to find redemption until Samuel the prophet comes from the line of Korah. 
Asaph, another man that we recognize all throughout the Psalms as one of the primary psalmists, he's a son of Korah. There are other sons of Korah that you'll find 11 different psalms out of the 150 where the title says a psalm of the sons of Korah. They get redeemed in such a way that they write thanksgiving psalms that make it into Scripture. The Holy Spirit leads them along. They go from being swallowed up by the earth and burned from fire from the altar to writing Scripture generations later. They worked hand in hand with David and David appointed them to be specifically the choral leaders. They were the ones playing the Giddeth. Man, from saying, God, we hate the method that you have set up. We hate these priests that you have put in charge of the holy things. We want to be in charge of the holy things. From rejecting God and his system to writing scripture that we're still reading and dissecting and singing Thousands of years later, folks, we still put psalms straight to music. I, I know we make jokes about 7-Eleven songs, right? Everybody likes to make the, the easy jab of, of in all the songs that are modern and contemporary. We sing the same words over and over again. They sang these same 150 songs over and over and over again. And some of them, you have the phrase, the steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. The steadfast love of the Lord endures forever. There's nothing wrong with a 7-Eleven song. It's exemplified in Scripture. There's nothing wrong with a good old-fashioned hymn that doesn't have any two words that repeat. There's psalms like that. There's psalms with a lot of repetition. All sorts of different psalms are written and sung. And even today, you, you might recognize from Charlie Hall, better is one day in your courts Better is one day in your house over and over again, straight from Scripture. The song starts off. How lovely is your dwelling place. Guys, this, this is a psalm, a song of thanksgiving written by someone whose ancestor, whose great, great, great granddaddy was killed as punishment by the Lord. If ever there was somebody who had the right to say, I'm going to go through the motions. I'm going to carry all this holy stuff for all these priests. I'm just one of the lowly Levites. I got to wrap up all the special urns and all the special plates and put the poles through the, the, the little loops here and carry the ark on my back and set it up just right. And then we're going to move somewhere else. I got to pick it all up again. I got to do everything these priests say. If ever there was anybody who had the right or the possibility of saying deep down inside, I know I'm supposed to like serving the Lord in this way, but honestly, I'm a little annoyed by him. It would be the sons of Korah. But instead, all 11 of the Psalms that they write, including Psalm 84, are filled with praise and thanksgiving to the Lord. He says, I would be I would be willing to be the lowest of servants in the Lord's house. I would be willing to be the lowest of servants. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God. A, a, an adequate comparison is I, I'd rather scrub toilets in the house of the Lord than be a CEO of a Fortune 500 company. I'd rather I'd rather clean up after everybody else's mess. I'd rather be the lowest on the janitorial staff than to be a billionaire here on earth. Folks, is that something we can say? 
Is that something that we genuinely believe in our hearts or do we go through the motions and we're actually a little bit annoyed by them? We're actually a little bit frustrated by this relationship that we have with God. When God requires something of us or commands us to do something or calls us to a certain ministry or calls us to a certain mission or Sunday morning rolls around and it's been a long week. I'm going to get up and I'm going to go, but I don't want to go. Or maybe Sunday rolls around and I'm just not going to go. Because honestly, deep down, instead of being smitten with the Lord, instead of being enamored, instead of being captivated, instead of being willing to be a janitor in his house, rather than anything else here on earth, we just put on a good face. Are, Are we actually satisfied in God or are we just going through the motions so that we look good for everybody else? Is God an ends to a means for us or is God the end? Is God the means to an end or is God the end? Who is he for you? Maybe you've had some family that you see as extremely holy, wonderful people that believed the Bible, that trusted in Jesus. And with every ounce in your body, you believe that they are in heaven right now and that you are following Jesus, not because you love Jesus. You're serving God not because you love God, but you're following Jesus. You're serving God because you don't want to go to hell and you want to see your family again. And you're more excited about going to heaven to see your family than to see God, than to see Jesus face to face. What if there were no streets of gold? What if heaven wasn't anything fancy or anything nice? What if heaven was just Jesus? Is it still as exciting? Are you still raring to go? Are you excited to trust in the Lord and be called to glory in His presence? He is heaven. And sometimes we get so caught up in all the other people that might be there. We get so caught up in the wonderful, beautiful sights that we'll see, the crystal sea and the streets of gold and all this stuff, the mansions in the sky. We get so caught up in how nice it's going to be. The marriage feast of the Lamb. Oh, it's going to be wonderful. What if it's just God? Are you excited to go? Is one day in His court better than a thousand somewhere else? Folks, how often do we miss That when Jesus is on the cross, he looks at the thief, and the thief says, remember me when you come into my kingdom. What does he say? He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. You know what made it paradise? Jesus was going to be there. It wasn't paradise without Jesus. He says, today you'll be with me in paradise. That thief on the cross had the understanding That wherever this man goes, that is where I want to be. Because that will be paradise. The psalmist understands. Even when we're going through a hard time in life, there's going to be seasons that are low, seasons that are down. He talks about in verse 6, as they go through the valley of Baca. That's a valley where rain never fell. Dry as dry gets. Dead as dead gets. Those who love the Lord, those who are enamored with the Lord, those who are filled with God's Spirit, as they walk through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. Folks, 
when our priorities are right, when we are captivated by the glory and goodness of God and are living out of the overflow of loving Him and being dedicated to Him, even when we walk through the desert, we'll experience springs of water bursting forth out of the ground. We'll have our needs met. Our supplies that are required will be taken care of. I know I said it last week, but it applies again this week. When we seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, all these other things fall into place. And sometimes even in our going through the motions, we're going through the motions, but in our heart we say, you know what, it's a little bit annoying. I really would rather not be here. I'm only doing this because I need to look like a Christian. Are you deceiving yourself this morning? Am I deceiving myself? Am I here to preach because I want to be seen as a good man to all of you? Am I here to preach because I want people to say nice things about me? Or am I here to preach because I'm called by God and there's nothing else that I could do? There's nowhere else that I could be. Are you here this morning because you want somebody else in this congregation to see you? You want to be able to say in the community, hey, yeah, I go to Bethany. I'm a member there at Bethany. Yeah, I went to church this Sunday. I was there at Bethany. I, I was sitting back by old Kevin Rogers. You, you didn't see me over there on the other side of the sanctuary? That's, that's where I was sitting. I, I was there. Are, are we coming so that we can look like Christians? Or are we coming because we are overwhelmed by who God is and how much we love Him? Folks, when we take communion, are we just taking the bread because we don't want somebody to see us not take the bread? I don't know what people will say if I pass the plate and I I don't take the bread. Then they're going to think I'm not saved. They're going to think I'm not a Christian. They're going to think all these terrible things about me. Or is our heart in the right place examining ourselves, confessing our sin before the Lord and saying, God, forgive me. Do we partake of the bread and remember how His body was broken for us? Do we drink of this juice and remember how it represents His blood that was poured out on our behalf? Or do we just go through the motions? I wonder if this morning if communion is one of those things for you. You're supposed to like it. It's supposed to be worshipful. But if you're honest with yourself, you find it a little bit like I find the beach. Kind of annoying takes a little while, you know, runs our service long. Preacher don't ever shut up on time anyways. Now we've got to do this stuff down here. All right, all right, all right, we'll do it. Let's get through it. Is that how we're approaching the Lord's table this morning? Or do we see this as an opportunity to partake of the body and the blood of Jesus, to proclaim His death until He returns? Folks, we can sing songs with empty words. We can write a check and give money, but never participate. We can partake of the bread and the juice. We can fake everybody off, but you you can't fake the Lord off. He knows the meditations of our hearts. He knows when our heart's in it, when it's not. And this morning, as, as we come to a place where we're going to worship God through taking communion together. I just want to encourage all of us to get our hearts in the right place with the Lord. And not seeing it as something that we just put up with. 
but truly worshiping the Lord this morning through the breaking of the bread, through the taking of the cup. As we get ready for that table, I want to lead us in a time of confession. Because we're told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 that it's not a very wise thing to approach the Lord's table in an unworthy manner. And so I would encourage you this morning that in in just a few moments when we do get around to the elements, if you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus, don't partake. If you have something against your brother or sister in Christ, if they have something against you, don't partake. If there's a sin that is unconfessed that's in your heart, don't partake. Paul's very serious under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit when he tells us in 1 Corinthians that many have eaten and drunken judgment upon themselves by approaching this table in an unworthy manner. So we're going to have a time where we can confess our sin together. And then we're going to have a time of response. And normally our time of response is where we receive anybody and all that good stuff. And if you want to trust in the Lord Jesus, you can still do all those things. But the primary purpose for our time of response this morning is that we might confess our sins to the Lord. Make our hearts right. And understand the seriousness of worshiping through the bread and the cup. Let's look together on the screen. This is from the Book of Common Prayer. It is a a powerful prayer that we can say together, asking the Lord to forgive us together. Will you read this with me? Most merciful God, we confess that we have sinned against You in thought, word, and deed by what we have done and by what we have left undone. We have not loved You with our whole heart. We have not loved our neighbor as ourselves. We are truly sorry and we humbly repent. For the sake of Your Son, Jesus Christ, have mercy on us and forgive us that we may delight in Your will and walk in Your ways. To the glory of Your name. Amen. Will you pray with me as Jason comes to lead us? Father in heaven, help us. Oh, heaven, help us. To make our hearts right before you this morning. To love you with our whole heart. God, help us to worship you in spirit and in truth. Lord, use these moments to help us, Father. To confess our sins. To seek out forgiveness. To trust in you. To humble ourselves as we approach your table. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand? Would you sing? Would you respond to the Holy Spirit and prepare your heart for communion? Oh
church, if you would continue in this attitude of prayer and be seated as our deacons prepare to serve the Lord's Supper. We'll distribute the bread. I'll read the passages for us. While we are passing out the bread, Jason will lead us in a song the same way for the juice. So if you'll continue in this attitude of prayer and worship and sing along as we pass out the elements.
Paul writes under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23, he says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, thank you for your body that was broken and marred beyond recognition. Thank you for enduring that torture and that punishment on our behalf out of your great love for us. By your stripes we are healed. Thank you, Lord, for your broken body. They passed out the juice. We're going to do the same thing. We're going to give you a verse uh, that we'll just play, and then we'll sing together. All verses. There's a copy. Here 
took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Lord Jesus, thank you for your blood that was poured out on our behalf. Lord, your blood bought our redemption. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. For as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until He comes.